Father in heaven, to you be glory and honor. We thank you that you are a God of wisdom, that all truth resides in you, and that you have preserved for us your word, that we might be led into all truth. Your Son personifies truth in the flesh. And so we look to have the mind of Christ tonight as we uh, approach this Q&A. Please help us to form every view that we might have from your holy word, Lord. Your word is sufficient for all things. Uh, we know that uh, it is a is a good guide unto us, Lord, and especially that it reveals to us what we are like and what you are like, but we can't understand it rightly apart from your mercy and your grace and Holy Spirit, your guidance. So please illuminate our hearts, illuminate our minds. We know that your word is living and active so that we pray that it would do the work that only it could do. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys, so as usual, um, I'll read a, I'll read the question, the first question, and if there's follow-up or anything like that, um, please, you know, raise your hand. We'll try to engage. If the questions are super ridiculous and silly, I'll save them for later after we're not recording, and then I'll look at them, I guess. <laughs> Why is everybody laughing about that? Is there a lot of those in here? No, we're just... Oh. Caleb apparently has two questions that he like, needs you to read in order. If he has wacky questions, he likes Okay. So here's the first question. Question. <laughs> I was watching YT, YouTube and a program... <laughs> <laughs> And a program said that the earth was 4.5 billion years old. Does that fit with the Bible? Does that fit with the Bible? So in other words, does the Bible allow for an understanding that the earth could be 4.5 billion years old? And I guess maybe to start off, I'd say that um, there are people who profess to be Christian that want to say that they believe in something like that. The Bible doesn't actually speak to that, though. It the Bible, from what we can estimate from the Bible, is that the earth is around 6,000 to 10,000 years old because we look at the genealogies, we look from when Adam and Eve were created and then the people from there, and there was a, a father in the church, I want to say it might have been a guy named Jerome, who first did the, the math and counted the, how many years back, and so it goes back you know, roughly about 6,000 years old. Part of the problem, um, what you have with science today is they just want to outrightly deny everything that the scripture says and so if and that's because it's it wants to people in our culture in the scientific community for a long time now have been opposed to the morality and the veracity the truthfulness of god's word and so they come up with these things uh, there's been carbon dating has been shown to be totally inaccurate one of the things they look at is they look at the speed of light and they say how far the farthest star is. And that's how they guess, um, guesstimate how old the earth is because how much long would it take for light to get here? But all that could have happened is um, that God created, when God created everything in the span of six days, remember on the seventh day he rested, is that he created everything in a working fashion and order. So when he created on the, uh, what was the third day when he created light, and those types of things we can look. It's in Genesis 1. It's only the first two chapters that go over that. <clears throat> two great lights. Oh, the fourth day is when lights and stars were made. He made it so that from the earth you could already see them where they were at. If you think about it, that's understandable, at least because when he created Adam, was Adam a little baby that had to grow? No, Adam was an adult at the time. He was he was made in the image of God. Um do you think all things were created as an adult? 
I think that the chicken, I would say, came first, right? And then they laid eggs. Um, all things, I don't know about all things created as an adult, but when you think of like everything was created according to their kinds is what we read. So whatever in its kind was at a, a mature age that it would have been able to be identified by Adam and use and give glory to God in that sense. But anyways, 4.5 billion years old, when they assigned to say that, they also want to advocate for like, all this death, they don't. They also deny like Adam and Eve. They might sometimes they might represent or advocate for a an, a first person, but then they'll go to evolution and all these other things. That's part. That's a, that's definitely attached to that big age group's evolution, and evolution, the theory of evolution, flies right in the face of the biblical creation account, right? And we could debate. I think we talked about maybe the last time we did a Q and A. Was there death before the fall? That's related to all this as well, too. But those people who believe that the earth is 4.5 billion years old, they definitely believe there was death uh, before the fall and even like human death and stuff like that. So it's, it's, it's by and large, um, it's incompatible to say old earth like that and then also affirm the rest of the truths of the Bible. Though there have been, I think, true believers in the course of the history of um, the church that have held to an old earth. And so um kind of depends upon the person like what do they mean like you want to find out like when they advocate for an old age like that do they all, are they also denying like Adam and Eve and God's creation of them specifically in the garden what do they also say but my personal view is that you know the earth is young it's a young earth 6000 ish years old yeah. good do you think that it? So you don't think it matters as much whether or not someone believes? I wouldn't say like I wouldn't do church discipline. Like let's say you know so and so in the church is a good member in the church. They try to live a, a good life, honoring and pleasing to God. And they said my conviction is that um, you know the earth is really old. And but they also said at the same time, well I still believe you know that there wasn't any human death before the fall. That God created mankind at this point. I wouldn't say like oh you're teaching heresy. To kick them out of the church, I would try to convince them otherwise. But I don't think it would be something to break fellowship over. I would, um, you know, our standard of teaching is our statement of faith. And so right now, it's the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Um, you know, maybe if it changes one day in the future to a more robust uh, statement of faith, but from what I know, even like so, even like the London Baptist statement of, or confession of faith, that doesn't even address it because in the 1600s nobody was thinking of the Earth being 4.5 billion years old. And to my knowledge, the Baptist faith and message doesn't say anything about it either. It just simply says that God created in the span of six days. So what people tend to do too sometimes too is if they if they want to affirm an old age, they'll say, well, still six days, but they'll say. Those days might be, you know, millions of years old. <laughs> and so then you're really stretching the veracity of Scripture. What's that? If they think if they were really holding the 4.5 billion years, how do they reconcile that? They either have to say that mankind was created 6,000 years ago, or they just deny with no people on it, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. If they're affirming all of that, Why would you feel like you need each day to be 
There's a lot of questions. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of questions that come into it. Another thing to think of too is like, what if it depends on who it is? Like, what if you're a new believer in the church and you're, you know, you've believed your whole life because that's what they tell you in, you know, on TV programs. And if you're in a public school that the earth is this old and now you're in the church, well, are you expected to believe right at the very moment you're saved that everything, you know, is different? So there's a process you have to work through people too. But it's not like, some ways it can be a gospel issue because again, if you're denying like that Adam and Eve are even real people, because some people do that, and then it's like, well, Jesus talked about them, and then you then you have a big issue, right? And then you need to. So would you baptize someone if they've been? Uh, yeah, possibly. Yeah, I mean, that's you know that never has never came up in the baptism <laughs> questions. You know, like, what is your stance on the age of the earth? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it kind of depends on a case by case basis. Um, you go from there. Clint's a big YT viewer. He's got his own channel. Do not call him a YT. Okay. Uh, if the rapture is true and you don't get raptured, can you still go to heaven? And they're asking for a friend, but they didn't even sign who this was from. So, <laughs> so that's good. Um, so is the rapture true? We'll deal with that part first. The re- well, it's, it's more complex than that. It's not just a yes. Oh, there is lots of questions there. The well, the rapture it depends on what you mean by the rapture. So it, so, so the rapture we typically like you don't read your Bible and see the word rapture in your Bible, right? It doesn't exist in the Bible. It's like the Trinity in that in that example. But the rapture is a concept of saints being caught up in the air to meet the Lord when He returns. Now, what we're talking about is eschatology, study of the end times, and there's different views. Primarily, these views are hinged around a verse in Revelation 20, I believe, that talks about a millennium. And so the view that this is talking for is describing what's called a premillennial rapture because it says if the rapture is true and you don't get raptured, can you still go to heaven? Well, only one view believes in the rapture like that. That's the premillennial view. So the premillennial view means that Christ comes at some point and, and right now we live in an era of what's called dispensationalism. It's a hermeneutic way of breaking down the Bible. They believe that there's going to be – the earth is going to get – crazy like john MacArthur was just quoted in a sermon he was it was not good of him but he's he's a faithful minister so i'm not trying to bash him all but he was saying he's making a point that we don't win down here things are going to get bad we don't win down here and that's not a true statement we do win we're in christ the gospel is, is going forth no matter whatever trials are coming before us but his point was that we don't win down here and that at some point things are get really bad and jesus is going to come down like partially and he's going to cat he's going to rapture saints up and there's going to be seven bad years of really bad tribulation. And then after that, Jesus, after the seven years, Jesus is going to come and he's going to reign for a thousand years, a millennium. That's a millennial is a thousand. A millennium is a thousand years. And so in that view, um, some, there's differences. Some people believe that, you know, if you miss the rapture, um, you can still maybe get saved in that seven year period and then still go to heaven after the end of that. Other people, like I, I, one of my a guy at my wedding, um, who I don't talk to anymore because we got into a big theological fight. He cut me out of his life, 
he was writing a book on Daniel, and his view was that um, he believes that the Bible teaches that during that tribulation period, the Holy Spirit is pulled from the earth. That's why it gets so wicked and so evil. And so my question was, like, well, then, so nobody can be saved in that time? And he was like, no, no, people can be saved. I'm like, well, how can people be saved without the Holy Spirit? And then it just then he just I found out I was a Calvinist, and um, that was the end of our relationship, unfortunately. A good guy. Um, besides that, and then um, so so some people believe you can't, other people believe you can't. As my, you know, I would technically be all millennial, which is a a version of meaning that a post millennialism, which means that Christ returns after the millennium, like we're in the millennium right now. The millennium is the time between Christ's first and second coming. And so at the end of the age, when Jesus comes back, all the saints are cap are raptured up into the air. We're met up with him. Um, and then he judges the rest of the earth. And so at that point, no, there's no more time. That's it. After when Jesus comes, that's, that's it. He's ushering in the eternal age. So if you're not saved at that point, um, as far as I know, you know, I don't know if you could repent at that moment. Um, scripture doesn't actually say you can or you cannot, but the scripture is very clear that we need to be ready before that. There's many different parables that he talks about being ready for Christ's return and that he's going to come when you not expect it. And so don't try to live your life and put that off in some future day. Like now, today is the day of salvation. Repent and turn to the Lord today. So tell your friend that, I guess, or your friend is. Anything else on that one? Our next question? This is really nice handwriting. If God can do everything... But it says, but says he cannot sin. Then does that mean he cannot do everything? Oh, the the classic dilemma. It's very similar to like the whole question: Can God make a rock big enough that he can't carry? Right? It's the same type of question. So there's a, the catechism that I use with my kids um, is: Can God do all things? And the answer that it says is: Yes, God can do all His holy will. So God's not going to do anything foolish because He's all wise. He does, there's no need for him to build, I mean, to make a rock so big that he couldn't carry it. But God doesn't even have a hand. Like, he's God of the Spirit. He doesn't have a body like us. I mean, when he spoke the world into existence, I mean, think of the whole, the weight of the whole universe. That was just spoken into existence. There's, so it's kind of a silly question in that part, but God doesn't sin. So in a sense, yeah, God can't do everything, right? God can't lie. God can't change his mind, right? Remember Numbers 23? God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind. He doesn't do those things. He doesn't sin at all. So in the sense, God can't do everything, but he, God does all his holy will. Yes, Adam? If God spoke the world into existence, then was the second thing after God sound? I don't know. <laughs> Violence is not the answer. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Well, so I mean, God has always existed, Father, Son, Spirit. Like, when did God create angels and the divine council, we might call it? I don't know. Yeah. And did they all talk to each other? Did they all just, like, communicate? Yeah, I don't know, Adam. That's a question for God. <laughs> Ask your dad, yeah. Ask your dad that one. We'll pass to Nick. Q and A. We uh we tried to do a Q and A once and um it was it was good. This is good, but I'll have to save that for after we're not recording. Mm -hmm.
It's not a real question, yeah. Does the church does the church always have to obey the government? It's a good question. Um, the answer somebody said the answer is no, right? I mean, there are some obvious answers where we think about like where Peter and James are teaching and they are told like the government says, Hey, don't preach Christ and they go to jail for it, they still do. They say we must obey God rather than man. Um in Romans, you have your classic text in First Peter and Romans 13. And what those essentially are saying is that we have to be subject to the government authorities because the government is God's minister, God's deacon, God's servant to administer the sword when people act evil. The problem is, is that governments are held to a God's standard. God gets to determine what's good. And so when the government decrees or says something that, that God's word doesn't say, then the government is acting in a way that they're not supposed to be acting, and then we don't have to obey in that regard. Even us meeting as a church is, a, is an easy example for that. The only problem about that is that we also also have to know that you know if the government is then going to be upset with us, they might come at us with force, and we have to be ready for that as Christians. It is San Jose, and then of course John MacArthur's. In uh, Canada, it's getting right. In Canada, it's getting really bad too. They're arresting people in Canada now. Um, pastors in Canada. Twenty-five percent. I know. So those are see the government doesn't have the authority to tell the church that we can't meet and what we can do when we when we meet. That's not their sphere of authority, and so they don't have the authority from God to do that. So we're not in sin when we disobey them. Uh, we'd probably seek legal counsel because we would we would we would do what we were allowed to do as citizens that we have. Well, no, we joined the Pacific Justice Institute, and so we do have legal counsel representation. Think about it. Remember when Paul was arrested? He appealed to Caesar. He used his Roman citizenship to his advantage. We would do the same thing. Jesus called Herod a fox. I mean, so when we were complaining about um, Governor Newsom, we're not necessarily in the worst company, right? Yeah. Um, same time, we are commanded to pray for those governing authorities as well, too, right? Because they are. I think of even what's our memory verse. Who's got it? Right. And sometimes, you know, there's another passage too that says the the way of a a king, the way of a king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. So I mean, God is ultimately sovereign and in control. Um, when it comes to tyrants, governments that have overstepped their boundaries, there's even a right place for us to fight back and rebel. We could flee, but it has to be done within the legal context of like another magistrate, another civil magistrate. It can't just be anarchy. Uh, we're not anarchists as Christians, but we do allow for um, uh, faithfulness to God's word. So, And out of love for neighbor. So good question. Nope, that's another one. We'll have to save. This one has a. This one is from Adam, but <laughs> we'll save that later too. What is the strangest circumstance you have ever read about in the Bible? So this is a very um, personal question because it can be different for other people. Why do you want to know this? <laughs> there are awkward situations. So if it was Adam, it might be the whole 
book of uh, Song of Solomon, right? Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> what has he ever read? It? The strangest circumstance. I read through it, yes. I read through it from the beginning. Part. To the, no. <laughs> Tell me in detail. Hey, it's <laughs> about Jesus' love for the church, Adam. Stop. I'm trying to help you guys here. You're moving away from the question. You're stalling. <laughs> the strangest circumstance. Right. In one sense, obviously, you know, the, the cross of Christ. Is that too, is that, is that too you, easy? Of course you would go there. <laughs> this is not my question. I mean, that, you know, that, that God would send his son to redeem his enemies. If I was a middle school student myself, I might be, I might say that when it describes a certain ethnicity's male reproductive organ as that of horses. So we'll go from there. And you could do yours, you could do, and that'll be on the internet. The Bible doesn't, you know, it, it gives it as it is, so. That's strange. How well, This is a good question. I don't know the answer to this. How long did it take for the Israelites to cross the Red Sea? Well, if you've seen um, the Ten Commandments movie, it's, it's one song as they as they go across the Red Sea. That's how wide is the Red Sea? And well, nobody nobody knows exactly where the what point they cross the Red Sea. Yeah. So I mean, there's guesstimate, and usually people say that it's at the shorter, the narrower spot. But I don't know. Has to have been wide enough for all of Israel to get through, and then for many Egyptians to come in, and then the water to collapse on them. I believe so. Six hours. Oh, thank you, Google. Oh, so a few miles. Right. Yeah, we can look. So it was overnight. Interesting. Ooh, the King James language. Hey, that's nice. Uh, there is a million coming out of Egypt, right? Yeah, around there. Okay. That's only 10,000 people, or not even that much, huh? Tiny, right? Yeah. And you, you don't have the Egyptians chasing you. You just have homeless people. No <laughs> Clinton. Hot dog vendors. People trying to sell mis-sized shirts. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's a good question. Is Jesus in the Old Testament? Yes. The answer is yes. So let's yes. get a little bit more specific. We'll get more specific. Jesus affirms it, right? He tells the... Uh, People in John 5, 39, he says to the Pharisees that you search the scriptures because you believe that they have eternal life and they are that which tell of me. Or you think of, he says that Moses was looking forward to my day. Or you think of how uh, on the Emmaus road, he told those two fellows on the road um, everything concerning him from Moses and the prophets. And Moses begins in Genesis, right? Moses is the author of Genesis. Yeah, further, Jesus is God. And so every time, you know, you see 
Yahweh. I mean, that's speaking of Jesus as well, Father, Son, and Spirit. Thirdly, we've talked before and even on Wednesday nights about the angel of the Lord, uh, how that's often a uh, a pre-incarnate Jesus. Like think of it in Daniel in the Daniel in the in the fire in the fire pit with his three friends or uh, the three. No, Daniel wasn't in there, right? Or he was. Daniel he wasn't. Was Daniel was not in there. That's right. Hananiah, Azariah. <laughs> Daniel's in another place. He's in the lion's den, yeah. Is Haz- Azariah, Hananiah, and uh, I forget the last one. Um, I think so. We could do their, ba- their Babylonian names are easier to remember. Um, but there was a fourth person in the fire who looked like the son of God, right? So Jesus is there, and then go ahead. The son of God, the guy that came to Joshua. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to run into another pre-incarnate Christ here in Judges pretty soon as well, when uh, the birth of Samuel with his parents. Ooh. Or um, not Samuel, but um, Samson. And then also um, Christ is seen all throughout the Old Testament, like his shadows and types. Like There's all these things like, you know, that, that are telling us about who Jesus is, what he would do. I, I like the analogy of a shadow especially too because we, we know what a shadow is. Like you've seen your shadow, but you can't really tell the features, right, your facial features in a shadow. You see it. So it's like this veiled version of the reality. And in the New Testament, you have the reality. Or sometimes even like, depending on your angle with the sun, you might see a shadow coming forward at you. You know, it's like moving at you. You see it and you, but then you, when it gets to you, that's when you actually see the reality of it. It's like the Jesus revealed in the New Testament, but he's in shadows and types and many things throughout the Old Testament. So yes, in the Old Testament. Keep going, Theta 1. Ooh. Um, another nice handwriting question, a, a dating question, part one, at what age will, allow, will you allow, I know, two-part question, at what age will you allow your kids to date? Will it be different for boys and girls? Um, no, it, um, it won't be different for boys and girls. Uh, it'll be... Same, unless there is, in some case, as my kids get older, unless there's, like, extreme immaturity, then maybe, you know, I would say, okay, well, we have to wait a little bit longer because I don't actually trust you because uh, it just depends on depends on the kid. But ideally, like, I mean, I as a dad, I would love it if my kids all confessed Christ at a young age and then they all met somebody um, at a young age to fall in love with and marry at a young age. I'm not against young early marriages like 18 19 17 i don't know three well <laughs> let's let's be within the laws of our land okay <laughs> the laws of our land awesome we're gonna have to read song of solomon again son i'm no. sorry about that <laughs> three i don't know um so i'm not a so you know so obviously so then i would i would not be opposed to them getting to know um somebody on a dating concept, but I would caution them against, you know, dating like people date in the world where they're just bouncing from relationship to relationship and not meaningful relationships. And with, with a, someone who is not potentially the type of person that they would want to marry, I like to have that input. And then, and I wouldn't put it be different for the boys, or the girls, but I would definitely as a dad, um, you know, I think that I'm supposed to be, it's different for the dad to a son than a dad to a daughter because my sons, I think they can move out, you know, at a young age, but I would feel, I feel more responsible to my daughters to care for them, provide for them as their dad until they have a man who is going to shepherd them and be over them. So part two, 
Is going to dinner with someone considered a date? Absolutely. Otherwise, what do I do with my wife? So we. Just saying, if I just went out to okay. dinner like as a friend. Oh well, no! If you went as a friend, then no, you can go to no, you can go to a dinner date with a friend. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. One on one. Well, is it a date or is it a friend? We're not calling it a date. And you say that. Are you are you romantically? No, no. Are you romantically interested in this person? What about like what's Well, that's because she was. That's because she was your youth leader, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alright. Another nice handwriting question. In in Song of Solomon, in chapter seven, it talks about breasts. Why was this important to have in the Bible? They're not important to have just in the Bible. Why why would God be ashamed? Why would God be ashamed about it? Because so here's the thing, I don't know exactly what verse it's talking about, but you know it in Song of Solomon what you have there is a is a story between a man Solomon and his bride. And so they talk about each other physically and emotionally. Much different than just torturing. But listen, remember, marriage is when a man and a woman come together, one flesh. It's a holy union. It honors God. It glorifies God. And you should enjoy the marriage bed, even. But the the point being, and, and you should. In, the Bible talks about women's breasts in a couple other places as well too, in Psalms. Um, you should enjoy the 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 oh breast of your wife's youth. You should enjoy the breast of of your wife. In the youth. And so, I mean, it's not shying away of these things. This is, well, <laughs> as you get older, the other the guy gets older as well. <laughs> so, anyways, the, the point is, we don't need to shy away from these types of things. But the Song of Solomon, I think, at its highest level of application interpretation, is about the intimate relationship and the love that Jesus has for the church. And so, you know, in, in a way that a man who truly loves his wife is not ashamed of her. Christ is like that towards the church. And so it's just it's a way of allegorically speaking about that. So. Right, not too bad, Adam. Name a biblical prophecy that has come true. Jesus. Sunday school answer. Sunday school answer. Will America be a thing when the world ends? Um, like... <laughs> I don't know. It depends on when the world ends. Will it be communist? Uh, we are on a fast track right now to actually have like a global system, I think. So we'll see what happens. Um, I mean, a global system, almost kind of like, you know, Genesis 11, where all the nations came together. Uh, it's almost, you know, everybody, all these different nations now are talking about a great reset, a digitized currency that goes across the whole land. There's the, the new green deal. What's going to happen with all of this eventually is that poor nations, are going to become taken are going to be taken advantage of by the already rich nations and it's just going to be yeah like poorer nations yeah so anyways uh who knows i don't know uh, but we should be praying that god would preserve um, us and what we want to do actually we want to see the gospel go into every nation so even if america does cease to exist we're confident that the church is going to continue on and no matter what situation that's in we have like five more you want to keep going yeah, yeah. okay
Somebody didn't get their question they want, I guess. What what should Christians do when what is right is not certain? Pray. Seek counsel. Pray is good. Seek counsel from a wiser Christian. Seek from somebody who's been Christian longer. If um, you know, talking to students, go to your parents. Go to your parents know the Lord. I'd ask them first. Is sinful. Absolutely. Right. Uh, title for this sermon actually is going to be, you know, love God and do it. Love God and do what you will. Love God and do what you will. It's actually a quote from Augustine. And the idea is that if you love God, you keep his commandments, right? And so you'll so do what you want. You know, if that's your case, you know, if there's two right decisions, do what seems best to you, what you want the most. And again, seek counsel from parents or elders. You know, that too. I'm not reading this one. Well, maybe I will, but I, I just, this is a personal attack against me, so I, I feel offended. <laughs> no, it was not me. In Revelation, not shuns, in, Re- in Revelation, is the dragon symbolism of Satan or something more? Because it says in Revelations, it's from Steve, and he knows that I don't like people saying Revelations because it's called the Revelation. Of Jesus Christ to John. Okay. Continuing on here. Um, is Revel- in Revelation, is the dragon symbolism of Satan or something else? Is that just symbolism or is that like... You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes advantage of symbolism. It, it's apocalyptic literature, so much of it is symbolic. And so the dragon depends on, there's, depends on what point. I forget exactly... Um, what verse is speaking of that but satan is referred to as the as dragon in there but then you also have like the beast and it's all the different heads and the eyes and the and the, th- and the um, horns on them and so um a lot of what you have in revelation is like the the consummation of just of all of the evil and wickedness that's opposed to christ you have the, the dragon that goes after the woman remember and that talks about that and so the woman being you know, the church so there's a lot of that um, you go to. I would recommend to you, Bodie Bauckham has a good series on, on the book of Revelation, like 20 sermons, not too many sermons. My friend, um, as you could Google online, my friend Dave Jenkins, uh, he's got he's going through it at a slower pace, but they've all been really good as well, too. Um, but yeah, Revelation does take advantage of that type of literature where it uses symbols to represent things and numbers mean certain things as well in that book. Oops. <gasps> Okay, three more questions. Is we did this one? Is the rapture true? Asking for a friend, so we don't have to do that one again. Wait, is it the exact same one? It's very close. The, the other one was if the rapture true and you miss it, can you still be saved? Remember? So, yeah. That's a good question. When Jesus is about to be crucified. He's praying, and he asks if the cup can pass from him. Why does he ask that? So that the cup, meaning you know God's wrath, can this pass from him? And it's a, it's a pretty debated issue. I think the the obvious and the, the best answer is that if he didn't do this, then it would almost be like a rejection of his true humanity. 
because he understood being truly God and truly man what he was about to do and the, the wrath that was going to come upon him. And that's no small thing. That's no, it's no slight thing. And I remember what he said after asking that. Nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Right? But yours. Yeah. So Jesus, being truly God and truly man, understood what he was going to have to bear also as a true man. The sins of all the elect. And that's no small issue. And then lastly, well, we're going to have to do some extra teaching, I think. It says, why is Pelagianism the only true view? <laughs> so how many of you here know what Pelagianism is? <laughs> Pelagianism is a system of doctrine that's, that traced back to a guy named Pelagius. It does sound like plagiarism. It's it's much worse than that. Uh, <laughs> Pelagianism teaches basically that you don't need God to be saved. That you can uh, that you can be good enough yourself. It denies original sin, so nobody's guilty in Adam. And since that's the case, you can be good enough to be saved yourself. What's popular today is actually what they call semi-Pelagianism, which kind of says that you're pretty good, but you need some grace. So it's a cooperation with God. But Pelagianism is just straight heresy. Semi-Pelagianism is, is as well. Um, it's more deceptive. It's more deceptive, though. Yeah. Like third century. Yeah, very early on, third century. Augustine uh, really is the one who debated him a lot, and that was before the Roman Catholic Church became super a mess. I mean, there were still things that uh, sometimes they would do then that we don't disagree with now. Like I think that uh, you could even you can view, you can trace infant baptism even way back to then, but there wasn't a solid biblical support for it until the Reformation. And even then, the Reformation as Baptists, you know, we see that's not very solid, although uh, we would still consider Presbyterians uh, our brothers in the faith. So really good questions, you guys. I'm uh, encouraged to see good questions. Hopefully, you know, if um, like we'll try to do this again, matter of weeks, uh, month and a half or so. So when you think of questions, write them down, put them in your phone. The ones I skipped were just all silly. Um, I'll I'll read those after we pray, and then uh, I'll show them to you. But they're just silly. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you that you have made us in such a way that we can think about you. Well, there's nothing greater to think about, no one greater to think about. And so we pray that you would help us to rightly understand this world which you have created and our place in it, that we might honor you and glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen.